Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, hey, good morning and welcome. My name is Fritz Bilo. I am one of the pastors here at Lighthouse Community. Thank you so much for being with us today. I want to welcome everybody, especially our guests. If this is your first time with us, thank you for being with us today. And uh, if we get it, if we haven't got a chance to meet yet, I would love to connect with you at some point today. And then I do want to welcome those who are joining online, maybe at Bluffton, Faustoria, Living Hope, uh, everybody at Lighthouse Online. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I got to tell you, like, I'm ready for this service because it's just been a good day so far. Um, I've been like crushing kids on that obstacle course over there, and it's been, it just makes me feel good. Um, so no, uh, I didn't even dare get on there. I heard one of our volunteers like came coming down the slide, and yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all good stuff, but your kids are safe. Um, so <laughs> it's back to school Sunday. That's right. Might have been going back for another week, but um, all right. So here's a question I want to throw out for you to think about, um, just in your mind. And do you believe? Do you believe that God could use you? God could use you in your life to actually lead another person to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, do you think like like God could use you? In that, in that way, in someone else's life. And, and maybe for you, you're going, yeah, probably like on a good day. You know, like I get up, I get out of bed, and I get up on the right side, and the coffee tastes a little bit better. And, uh, you know, maybe I do my devotions and prayer time before I get started. The way to work is fantastic. Nobody cuts me off. Uh, you know, I get to work. Boss is great. Coworkers are awesome. Everything's fine. People are asking me about who Jesus is, and, and you know, I'm telling it, I'm sharing them, and, and I've just got a great attitude. I get home. Everything's fantastic. Yeah, probably on a really good day like that, I could totally see God using my life to help other people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So my second question would be, do you think God could use your life to lead someone else to faith on one of your most challenging days? You get up on the wrong side of the bed. The coffee tastes horrible, uh, right? You're cut off and people are waving at you all the way to work but with less fingers than normal, uh, right? Like your boss, your coworkers, uh, they're back to being totally annoying and cringy and all of those things. And, and right, like the day just couldn't get any worse. And actually people are telling you that anybody who follows Christ is an intellectual moron and they don't know why anybody would subscribe to that kind of ideology, um, right? Like just think about one of your most challenging days that you could ever face. Do you think that is a day that God could use your life to lead someone else to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. 
This is what Peter is writing about in his letter to these Christians. And so if you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up to 1 Peter. Uh, chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. And um, what Peter's doing here is he's, just, he's helping these believers go, listen, this amazing gift of salvation that God has given to you through Jesus Christ, it's real and it's meaningful. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your life through faith, it changes everything about you and you'll still have really challenging days. Days where things go horrible. Days when people don't like you and they don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And he says, listen, in those moments, God can use you as well. And so we're in this series, we're about halfway through this series called Hope United, where the Apostle Peter is writing encouragement to Christ followers who are facing pushback for their faith in Jesus Christ. Their family, their friends, the people they do the marketplace with are are shaming them, they're isolating them, they're, uh, they're verbally abusing them, and the whole goal is to try to get them to walk away from Jesus and return to their old way of living, because it was way better when you just did what we did instead of this new life of righteousness in Christ. You know, what a waste of time. Leave that, come back with us. And so that's the setting of what's going on in the letter uh, that Peter wrote to these believers. And so that's not too different from things that we face in our own life too, Right? All right, before we get into uh, our teaching this morning and read some of the passages, I want to take a moment to pray. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I, I don't know. I, I know it doesn't. My, my prayer all morning has not changed. Um, please, please don't make me come up here by myself. Um, we need you. We desperately long for your spirit to empower every single one of us in this room or wherever it is that we're joining from, that either to speak truth with clarity and with boldness or to hear truth with clarity and with boldness. And so we know that your Holy Spirit is clearly involved on both sides of that. And so we're simply asking, um, not that today would be a good day. We're not asking that today would be uh, a thoughtful or entertaining sermon. Um, We are praying that we would have an encounter with the living God and that that would change us dramatically from the inside out. And we would walk out different people than we walked in. That's, that's my prayer, Lord. And I, I believe there are many in this room that that's their prayer as well. And some of them, it's the first time they're hearing that. And now that's their prayer as well. And so you're, you are our father. You are our creator. Um, and help us to learn how to hear from you and to push all of the other distractions to the side, knowing that you have the most valuable things to say today. We ask these things through Christ. Amen. Okay, so today's going to be a little bit different than uh, typical teachings. Usually I'll give you like, ah, you know, here's three truths and then, you know, how to walk through that. So if that's like your style, I'm like, oh, I love how we do that, you're going to hate today. So just get over it, right? You're going to have to deal with it. Um, so uh, here we go. I want to start reading from 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 11. This is what Peter writes. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that 
When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so we're going to pause there because what Peter is saying here, the message is so clear. He says, listen, Christians, avoid sin, resist sin with everything you have inside of you, and instead live such morally excellent lives that anybody who saw you would say, that's good living, right? This is what Peter is writing. And he says, do that even if people treat you poorly because you're a follower of Christ, that you maintain that no matter what. And so then what he does after that passage is he begins to unpack a few examples of what that might look like in their day and in their society. And so he begins to talk in verse 13 to just citizens of the Roman Empire. He says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. And so what Peter is writing to all the citizens, right? These believers who are citizens under Rome. He's saying, listen, one of the ways this plays out is we actually submit to our government as model citizens, right? That if the law is not in opposition to scripture, you should follow it and you should follow it well. What I find really interesting about Peter writing this letter, he says things like submit to the emperor. At the end, he says, honor the emperor. Do you know who is most likely the emperor of Rome while Peter is writing this letter? A guy by the name of Nero. And Nero is one of the, like, one of the most destructive emperors. Actually, they believe he's the guy who set Rome on fire, and then he blamed the Christians for it, and he used them as a scapegoat where he would kill them and punish them and torture them, right? And so Nero is not a great guy, and yet here Peter is saying, honor the emperor. Submit to this human system of authority that God has put into place, right? He's expressing, he's raising this bar of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Then he goes on and he talks to bond servants. Verse 18 says this, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you, are, uh, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And so he's talking to these bond servants, these servants. Some of your translations actually might say slaves. And so for us in our culture in America's history, I think many times when we hear the word slave, we immediately go back to slave trade in our country historically. Um, and that is not really what Peter is talking about here. He's talking more about bond servants, which has more of a correlation to employers, employees today. Now, don't get me wrong. There was slave trade going on in that time period, but this is not who Peter is addressing in this moment. And so what Peter is saying, listen, bond servants, employees, submit to your master. Place yourself under their authority and under their leadership. And, and if that wasn't annoying enough, he dials up the heat just a hair bit more and he goes, don't just submit to the good ones, 
submit to the ones who aren't that good as well. Okay? This is, says, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. So then he continues writing, and this time he writes to the wives. He says this, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so again, Peter writes to wives. He says, listen, this is what it looks like in a marriage is that wives would submit to their own husbands. And if that's not annoying or challenging enough, he dials up the heat and he says, you don't just submit to your husbands who are Christians, you submit to the husbands who aren't even Christians yet, right? Because... He may see your life, and that becomes the drawing piece of how he comes to faith in Jesus Christ as well. And Peter's like, well, I think I've annoyed enough people. I'll just stop now, right? (laughs) No? Oh, okay. All right. There's something in there for husbands, right? Okay. So verse 7 says this, likewise. You see this again? He's saying likewise, likewise, likewise. He's saying, going, hey, same framework, same framework. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so what you have to understand about the Greco-Roman culture of that time, husbands were seen as the primary leader and authority of everything in their household, right? What they said went, and nobody could argue with them in any way whatsoever, And so if you're looking at verse seven and you're reading what Peter is writing, see a lot of people look at that and they'll go, oh man, this is so, uh, right? This is like, you know, male centered dominated, but actually read what Peter is writing here. He says this, husbands, honor your wives. That word honor is the same exact word that Jesus used when he was quoting the commandment from the 10 commandments that were to honor our fathers and our mothers. Peter says, husbands, you should give the same exact honor that you would give to your parents, to your wives. And he says, you want to know why? Because they're equals with you. They are co-heirs in the kingdom of God. You are equal to one another. And he says, and if you don't want to live this way as a Christ follower, you need to know something. God will not hear your prayers. That's what it says. Look at verse, that's what it says. That if you're not going to honor your wife, if you're not going to view her as a co-heir in the grace of God, God will not hear or honor your prayers. That's what it says. And so you have to see what Peter's doing here. This would have been scandalous in this time, in this day, in this age. See, a lot of people like to look at the Bible and they have this false understanding that the Bible is like smashing down people in the process. No, it's lifting up. It's lifting up. It's raising up women. It's raising up uh, servants. It's raising up people. It's calling husbands to something more and to something greater. And then 
Peter's just kind of like, well, I think I pretty well ticked off most. Let's just finish out the whole church, right? So verse 8, he picks up and he goes, finally, <laughs> all right? I'm, I'm aiming for you all. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, that verse 10, 11, and 12 is actually a quotation from uh, Psalm 34. And so what Peter writes to the whole church, he says, listen, live in unity. Live in the church with selfish, unselfish commitment to one another. Live before one another in humility, not seeing yourself as better than anybody else, right? So this whole thing, it's like he's talking about submission. And, and he says, listen, here's why. Why would citizens, why would bond servants, why would wives, why would husbands, why would the entire church live this way? When you go back to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, what Peter says is this. You are the brochure for Christianity. When somebody wants to know, what does it look like to follow Jesus? They're going to look at your life first. That's the first place they're going to look. And they want to know, is this thing real? Is the gospel real? Does it really change lives? Does it really transform people from the inside out? Or is this just another form of religion? And you're going to put some new obligation on me to try to do things I know I can't do. And I live under guilt for the rest of my life. He says the whole point of this is that unbelievers might see the way that you submit to the authority in your life because it shows that you trust God. It shows that you trust God. When you submit and you're not warring for what you want in every circumstance, but you submit and you trust, he says it's actually revealing your own trust in the Lord. And when unbelievers see that, that may be the thing that leads them to faith. This is, this is, what, this is what Peter's saying. He's actually quoting what Jesus said in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, right? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says this, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, you're a city on a hill. Let your good deeds shine before men that they might see them and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter's ripping that right off of Jesus, right? This is Jesus' words. You, you have to understand this. What Peter is saying is that Christians... Christ followers, believers, you, me. We are God's plan for sharing the gospel. And there's not a plan B. It's us. It's us. It, are, does the life really get changed by Jesus or is this thing fake? And so Peter says, avoid sin, live really, really well, and walk in a life of submission because it shows your own trust and your own submission to God. Now, most sermons would stop there and go, okay, have a good week. Good luck. But the reality is, if you listen to that whole thing and you went, yep, yep, that's right. That's good. Yep, I can do that and walk away. You haven't really been listening to what Peter has been saying. In fact, if you're going to be honest, there should have been multiple places in that scripture where it actually annoyed you. And as you heard the words being read and explained, you're going in your mind, that sounds nice, but nope, I ain't doing it. There's no way. 
That's a ridiculously high standard. Nobody can do that. Do you know what real life is even like, Peter? Like, you don't know who I married, right? You don't know where I work. You don't know the government that I'm living under right now, Peter. This is way too far. Because if you really listen to what Peter is saying, you're going to go, nope, can't do it. Why? Well, because it's not fair. Seriously, what Peter is asking us to do, it's not fair. And so we kind of revert back to six years old. It's not fair. <laughs> you know? And, and then what it does is it pushes back on our sense of justice because we understand justice that when somebody does something wrong or evil, there should be an appropriate penalty that they receive that lets them know what you did is wrong. And that's not what Peter's talking about here. There's also the flip side that there's an appropriate blessing when you do well. And that's not what Peter's talking about here, right? Because in our mind, you go, hey, you go flying down Main Street. 55 miles an hour here in Finley, you're breaking the rule of the speed limit. And so what's the appropriate penalty for that? A speeding ticket, right? You get pulled over, right? Oh, you know how much it costs even, yikes, Uh, right? (laughs) So no, so what it is, you get pulled over, right? And you get a ticket, and while the lights are flashing behind you, we're all driving past you going, ha ha, and then we're going right along. That's the appropriate penalty. But there's an appropriate blessing, right? It's like, well, if you go to work every day, the appropriate blessing would be, well, you get a paycheck because you did what's right, you did what's good, so you should get a blessing in response. And so we have this understanding of justice that there's an appropriate penalty for doing wrong, there's an appropriate blessing for doing right. And we understand when things go too far, when the penalty is way overreaching what what the crime or the offense is, we would call that revenge, we would call that torture. And if the blessing is way too much than what somebody deserved, that's, it's humbling and it's embarrassing because you go, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't earn what you're giving me. It's too much, right? You feel embarrassed and humbled. This is exactly why Peter in verse 11, he says, resist sin. You've got to resist sin because it wages war against your soul. It's waging war against your soul because when you are wronged, especially when you didn't do anything wrong, the desire to pay evil back for evil is really, really high. Because if somebody does something wrong to you, but you didn't do anything wrong, every one of us would go, yeah, you should get it back, right? You should get it back. And we think we want justice, but if we're honest, what we really want is revenge. Because if you hurt me and I didn't do anything wrong, what I really want to do is I'm going to hurt you to the same level, but actually probably higher, so that you know to never mess with me again. Seriously, right? Like this this is what it is. You hurt me, I'm going to take it twofold. I'm going to take it sevenfold. I'm going to take it beyond so that you know to never, ever come at me like that again. And what Peter says, if you're a Christ follower, we don't do that. Actually, when somebody wrongs you, when somebody comes at you with evil, you know what he says? He says you pay them back with a blessing. The literal translation of that word, or of that word blessing is a good word. You pay them back with a good word. You pay them back with a good action. Uh, it's the same word blessing when Jesus blessed the fish and the loaves when he, before he fed the 5,000. It's the same word blessing when he spoke a word, uh, a good word over the disciples before he ascended to heaven. 
right? It's that same exact word. And so what Peter says is when you're wronged and you didn't do anything wrong to deserve it, when somebody does evil to you because you're a follower of Christ, we don't repay evil. We don't revile for reviling. What we do instead is we pay back with a good word and a good action and a blessing. And if you're really comprehending what Peter is saying here, you're going, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. I'm not doing this. Why? Why would God ask this of me? Nobody can live this way in this world. That's why Peter said in the whole middle of this thing, he goes, there's one who did. There's one who did exactly what I'm writing to you about. In verse 21, chapter 2 of verse 21, he says, there's one who did. And his name is Jesus. And let's, you know, let's do this. Let's read these passages um, out loud together. Uh, it's, a, it's about four of them, but let's start with, for, this, uh, for to this you have been called. Uh, everybody together, are you ready? Go. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And what Peter says is you have to know that Jesus lived a morally excellent life. Anybody who looks at his life would say that is a good life. And then he goes down even further and he says, Jesus never sinned. He never sinned by action. He never even spoke a sinful word from his mouth, right? He's perfectly blameless. And then he goes a step further. He goes, you know, Jesus faced abuse. Jesus faced verbal abuse. People pushed back. People beat him. People tortured him, right? He did all of that, and he never sought revenge. But you know what it says he did do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You see, Jesus had a longer vision. He had a vision that was more than this moment. He said, I know what's going on right now is not good. It doesn't feel great. I, I don't like being isolated. I don't like being shamed. I don't like being tortured. I don't like being beaten. I don't like having my honor and my character drag, dragged through the mud but I am going to entrust myself to the one who judges justly, the one who one day will right every wrong because I don't have to do it right now. And what Peter is pointing to, he's saying, listen, in one moment, God completely enacted justice fully on the cross that he poured out the penalty for sin on the cross, but he also poured out the blessing for a good life. This is what happened in the cross and out of the grave. 
that in this moment, Jesus took the penalty for sin, but it wasn't his own sin. It was, yeah, it was mine. It was yours. It was ours. And then what he does after taking the penalty, he actually hands over the blessing of a perfectly righteous life to those, as a gift to those who would put all of their faith in him and all of their trust in him. This is what Peter's talking about. And when you really begin to think about everything that Jesus suffered, and you think about everything that Jesus has given us, and you think about the blessing he's given to us, you begin to realize it's too much. The gift of salvation, the gift of a right relationship with God, the gift of the Holy Spirit living within me, the gift of eternity with him forever, it's too much. It's, it's embarrassing. It's humbling. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Why would God do that? Why would he give it to me? Why would Jesus do that? Well, he satisfied the requirement of justice. There was a wrong, and the wrong had to be righted, and Jesus did it. But there's another reason why he did it. It's so that you and I might see his good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. This is, what, this is what verse 24 is about. It says, right? He says, he himself bore our sins on the tree so that we would walk away from sin. So that we would say, paying evil for evil and revile for revile. That's ridiculous. That's a pitch in the dirt. And instead to live to righteousness, that when we receive evil, we would give blessing instead. When we receive shame, we would actually give honor. Because by his wounds, you have been healed. You have to understand, we all walk around with wounds. Some of us, we have more than others. Some of us, we've received a ton during our childhood. Some of us, you've received wounds from your time as a young adult. Some of you re- received wounds from a marriage that failed. Some of you received wounds from the way your parents or your kids or your friends have treated you and that has shaped who you are today. It's all real. But the deepest wound any one of us have ever faced is separation from God. And it's through Christ that has been solved, that's been healed. And quite frankly, you can't heal any of the other ones until that one gets taken care of. And so Jesus has solved our deepest problem. And Peter says that the one who received evil has paid back with the blessing. And when you see that, and you realize that it's true and it's real, and when it takes hold of your heart and over your soul and the gospel and the good news of Jesus comes into your mind and your whole being, it absolutely changes everything about the way that you live and you look at situations because now I don't have to repay you evil for evil. You say something dishonoring to me, I don't have to say something dishonoring to you, but instead I begin to realize that every moment, good, bad, indifferent, is an opportunity for God to reveal the gospel through me. That every single moment, my best day, my most challenging day is an opportunity for God to reveal his good news through me. And so what what Peter's saying is this drive to live a morally excellent life, this drive to live a good life, it's not driven by fear anymore. It's not driven by pride. It's not driven by religion it's, it right, even pushes back, you know, what's the best way to get revenge on somebody, right? They say, just live well. We don't even live well to get revenge on people. You want to know why we live well? It's what Peter quoted at the end of the passages, right? Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a reminder that God sees everything. 
It's a reminder that God is sovereign and has a plan. It's a reminder that God can be trusted even in the most challenging of situations. It's a reminder that God is the ultimate judge who will right every single wrong that comes into our lives. And that actually when I submit to the authority around me, it reveals my trust in God because I trust God's control and I don't have to be in control. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to make things my way. I don't have to get even. I don't have to get revenge. I can simply trust God because this is what Jesus did. This is exactly what Jesus did. And you begin to understand why Peter can write to the citizens about government, to the bond servants about slaves, to wives about husbands, husbands to wives, and the church about everybody. Because Jesus said stuff like this. Hey, you're going to be dragged in front of kings and rulers one day because you're a follower of mine. Don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will give to you in that moment what you need to say. And when you have an unjust boss, you don't have to get even with him or her. Because guess what? The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And husbands and wives, this is, marriage is not a power struggle. This is not about who's going to be in control and who's going to manipulate who and who's got the better negotiating tactics. In fact, this is about Ephesians 5, where the wife trusts her husband the same way that the church trusts and relies on Christ, and that the husband sacrifices his life for his wife the same way that Jesus sacrificed his life for the church. He says that's what this is about. This isn't a power struggle. And, and you begin to understand why in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for unity in the church. Because just moments before that, what he told his disciples was this. People will know that you're my disciples. Not by how you vote. Not by where you show up on Sunday morning. Not by what you say before you eat your meals. Not by the fact that you listen to a certain radio station and not to others. That's not how they're going to know that you belong to me. They're going to know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. In unity. With unselfish commitment to one another. That actually puts the person beside you above your own self. Right? Listen. Christians in the house, Christians who are joining online, you you need to hear this. These passages that Peter wrote, these are to you. These are passages to you. Saying this, this is how we live, this is how we trust, this is how we walk with Christ. But I also want to speak to those of you who are still seeking. And you're 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 trying to find out who is this God? Who is this Jesus? What does all this mean? Peter wrote these passages for you. They're for you. You see, because Peter place this truth in my life so that I would live a distinctly different life from everybody else. So that when you looked at Fritz's life, you would go, the gospel's real. He's not just saying a bunch of words on Sunday morning and then living however he wants to do the rest of the time. This is real. This guy's being transformed. He did that. So for you, Christ follower, so that when people look at your lives, go, that's real. He had every opportunity to bust that guy in the mouth. She had every opportunity to spit back poison right in her face. And she didn't. She didn't. She had every right to rail against the government and post whatever online about whoever's in charge at the moment. We didn't. 
just trusted God. This must be real. This must be legitimate. This is what Peter's talking about. Either the gospel's real or it's not. And if the gospel's real, then it's everything. It's absolutely everything. And it's only when you see Christ and what he's accomplished and you put your faith in him and the Holy Spirit empowers you, are you then able to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And what ends up happening is you begin to see absolutely every moment as an opportunity for the gospel to be revealed. The great and wonderful moments, the challenging moments, the most mundane moments become opportunities for the gospel to be clear. Just this week, my oldest son, Jackson, he's uh, 14. He'll be 15 in a couple of months. Yeah, yikes, right? Um, So uh, we were driving to the gym, uh, going to work out, and we were just kind of quiet on the way over. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the truth from these passages. And so we're driving, and uh, I just asked him, I was like, hey, because I heard something on the radio just in that moment, and I just asked him, I said, hey, do you... What do you think? Like, is it possible to hold this certain belief, this philosophy, and still be a follower of Jesus Christ? And so we started talking. He started answering. We started working through things. And I kept asking questions. And I kept listening. And I kept pointing back to scriptures. And I kept pointing back to Jesus. And this conversation leaves the truck, goes to the parking lot, goes into the gym. While we're working out, we're still talking about this thing. We're still talking about Jesus. We're still talking about who he is, what he's done, what he means to us, right? This whole process. And, And then we were done working out. It was over. But I think about that in this moment and go, here was a moment where normally we would have just kind of been bebopping along. We would have worked out. We would have said, you know, oh, good job. We got great form. Uh, and, you know, whatever. And, and yet in this moment, the Holy Spirit reminded us every single moment is an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. And I got to share it with my son and whoever else was listening to our conversation in the gym while we talked about things. This is what Peter's talking about. This is what life looks like, that we're not Christians on Sunday. We're not Christians at small group, but it's actually, it's all the time that the gospel is leading our lives all of the time because it's the most important thing that any of us have ever encountered. And until you see Jesus with clarity, it'll never make sense to you. Until you experience his grace, until you experience his power, until you see with clarity that he is the son of God and he is risen from the dead, you look at guys like me and you look at other people around you go, what is wrong with him? I don't get it. But there's a chance that one day you're going to see our lives and the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and you go, I get it now. I get it. And I want to walk with the Lord now too. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Jesus, what, what are you saying to me right now? And I just want you to listen to him for a moment, to what he has to say. Jesus, when I I think about the scripture and I think about what you've spoken this morning and I think about what you're doing even in my own life right now I'm, I'm, you're, you're bringing me to this moment in Acts 2 
when Peter shared the gospel with clarity, at the end of that, people said they, they, what they experienced was that they were cut to the heart. They began to realize this is true, this is real. And then their next question was, what do we do? What do we do? And through your Holy Spirit, Peter said, repent, repent, turn away. Turn away from trying to get even, turn away from life under your own rules, turn away from life under your own leadership, separate from God, and realize that the pitch in the dirt that it is, and start walking with Jesus and trust Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense. Like, there, there's, no, there's no benefit. There's no benefit for me to complain about what the government's doing or not doing. I didn't see you doing that in the scriptures, Jesus. There, there's no benefit for me to complain and gripe about my mom. I don't see you doing that in the scriptures. I don't see any benefit in complaining and griping about my spouse. I don't see you doing that. There's no benefit for me to get revenge. I don't see you doing that. So why in the world do I think it's okay for me to live that way now when you never live that way? And you don't even call us to do that. And yet I sense in my own life this, this drive, this invitation to submit. To submit to authority, to submit to people around me because for no other reason because you asked me to. And I'm going to choose to trust you and that what you're saying is right. Even if everything inside of me is going, don't do this, get revenge, pay back, don't. It's in those moments, Lord, where I need your Holy Spirit to remind me it's good, it's true, it's right. See, we, we are now crossing into supernatural territory and there's no level of coaching, there's no level of guilt, there's no level of compulsion that I can put on you or on myself to step into this kind of lifestyle. It's only through the work of Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly why at the end of every teaching, we always close with prayer. And so let me tell you what's going to happen. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in one last song. And during that time, we're going to have prayer leaders who are going to be available in each corner of the room. And so I'm going to ask those prayer leaders if they will start heading to those corners of the room now so that people know that you're ready to receive them and to pray with them this morning. And, and here's, let me tell you, you don't ever, ever have to be embarrassed to want to receive prayer. Never, never, never. Because let me tell you what's going to happen is, is as the prayer leaders pray with you, they're just, they're going to listen to you. They're going to listen to the spirit and they're going to pray for you, right? That's it. That's all there is. And you don't ever have to be like, well, people are going to think that there's something wrong with me if I go forward to pray. Nobody's going to think that. What they're going to think is there's something right with that person. And I wish I had the courage to do what they're getting ready to do right now. And so if you're here in the house, I'm going to ask you to stand as we prepare to sing and we prepare for prayer. And I want to pray for you. And then I want to invite you to head to one of the corners, one of the prayer leaders to pray with you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs and desires prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.